What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, we have an amazing guest who has built a real estate portfolio in the hundreds of units level in just three years after making a career switch and moving to a new area. Welcome to the show, Emma Powell. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Perry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. All right, welcome to the show today, Emma. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I well, I don't sound like I'm doing great. <laughs> my voice, my voice is gone, so apologize. Well, I'm sure, uh, sure it's it's because you're you're busy wrangling deals and and negotiating and talking to investors and all that yeah. stuff you do. A lot, of, a lot of networking. You know, it's physically demanding. It's a sport. And just so people uh, who are listening or watching know, where where are you calling in from today? Uh, we are in Salt Lake City, Utah. We moved here about three years ago, not quite three years ago, from Austin, Texas. We lived there for 20 years. But I grew up in Seattle, and my husband grew up in Idaho. So uh, we were looking at a, a surprise layoff at the end of 2017. And uh, I said I would be willing to, to look up in Salt Lake and, and move to Salt Lake to be closer to our families. Our parents are aging. Um, and there's so many opportunities here. He's in the tech industry and Salt Lake is booming. So uh, that's one thing as investors we've noticed as, as, a, as a tech family is we tend to go to the tech cities and those tend to be the best cities to invest in. So I, I thought it was lucky, but then I just realized, you know, we're just, we're just chasing the tech and that's where the growth is around the country. So I know just, just from talking to you prior to getting on the show, you are relatively new to real estate investing. The move from Texas to to Utah was was more than just a move, right? Like you you made a career switch and really got into real estate investing full time, correct? Yeah, and I I mean I had been a real estate photographer in Austin for about eight years, and I learned how to do graphic design because I was a marketing graphic designer photographer. I learned how to do that as a kid by drawing floor plans on the computer. I was just fascinated with it. And so I always wanted rental houses and, and I knew that that was something we should be doing, but I, I just didn't have the network or, or I look back at all the real estate investors that I knew in Austin, who some of them were actively trying to teach me how to do it. And I just didn't get it. I just wasn't ready. Um, and I thought I had to pay my house off first. And I thought I had to save up all this cash for this massive down payment or pay cash for a rental house. Um, never occurred to me that I would really get into commercial real estate. It's, I just didn't have the right network and the right people that I was surrounding myself with. So when we moved to Salt Lake at the time, I didn't really want to start my photography business over again because I, you know, I'm getting older and, and the camera's hard on my hands and, and it's a, it's a hustle and a grind and, and the maximum income I could make. I was like, I have to start a photography business and hire photographers and, and that management and that hustle just wasn't appealing to me. Um, and at the time I was also doing some side contract work as a as a digital content marketer for the Austin rugby team and a data science startup. And I knew that there was a good rugby industry up in Salt Lake. And that was another reason that I wanted to move up here is because that's such a niche industry that I thought 
I wanted to be still be involved in that. But I got up here and and there wasn't any there wasn't any job I was doing for the data science company. Um, it's still some meetups and things, but the more I started to figure out like what am I going to do with this next phase of my life? Start a business, be a business consultant. Like I have a degree in uh, a business degree with an emphasis in entrepreneurial management. So startups, funding, um, just just management in general. When when in a startup, everybody has to be wearing all the hats and just how to keep all that balanced and and how to have a broad team rather than uh, a, a deep team, if that makes sense. Because you have fewer people who are doing more tasks. And so that was my specialty, and and I was helping out other photographers and wedding venue owners and small business owners figure out their social media, their bookkeeping, just those tasks that a, a lot of technicians uh, let fall through the cracks. Um, real estate agents because like i said as a real estate photographer i knew a lot of agents and they were struggling with things like just how to get their name out there how to just run their business and so i was doing a lot of free consulting and started doing some paid consulting i thought maybe i should start a business like that so i started showing up at all the business networking meetings there's so many real estate investors that i thought i just i just got to get this done so i started showing up to um, the real estate investor association uh, chapter meetings and surrounding myself with these people and my eyes were really open to all the possibilities and all the ways to invest and how I got to choose the way that resonated most with me because I had some pretty limited ideas of what it meant to be a real estate investor. And then when I saw all of this buffet in front of me of all the things that these people were doing, I began to really resonate with some of them and connect with those people and, and identify uh, some informal mentors uh, that I could ask questions to and and follow what they put out and just find a good, a good fit for me. And I just jumped right in. And, and what enabled us to do that was that kind of obsession with real estate that I had, uh, just making money off of our own personal houses. We did a huge remodel on the last house that we owned in Texas, like down to the studs, new plumbing, new wiring. I mean, it was basically pretty much a new house at that point. And, and, and the profits that we took from, from that experience um, and the contractor management that we took allowed me to kind of come in here with a, a pile of cash and some some construction management experience and dive right in as an investor and so i felt like i felt like it was finally finally figuring out how to come home if you will because it had been a goal of mine for so long um but it just always seemed just out of reach i didn't know how i didn't have enough money and and it wasn't until i started hanging out with people who were doing it and doing it creatively that I realized I can take all my current skills that I already have in marketing and photography, uh, networking, and just apply it to a new business, which was real estate investing. And the motivation for that was um, I didn't want to work full-time. We have six kids. I homeschool and it just didn't seem like a good fit for me to go out and get a job. Um, but the hustles that I had weren't making enough money to really justify the time that I was spending away from my kids and my family and real estate could give me that income to not only work part-time as a full-time income, but also enough that I could potentially even retire my husband, which is the goal that we're working on right now. That's awesome to hear. So it sounds like you were, you were around it for a while, mm -hmm. building the skills, but it really wasn't until you intentionally changed your environment, got around people doing it, yeah. where you got to the point where you, you did it. And what, was there anything specific that was really like the, impetus that made you go out and do that first deal or, or you know describe that 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 moment when you're like all right i'm gonna do it here's the deal and and and, and boom like how did it happen 
Um, well, I, I, I was doing to business networking meetings and I went to a meeting where it was one of those seminar type of things where they want you to sign up for their education. And I didn't realize what I was walking into. And so when I got home, uh, I just did a little bit of due diligence on the company and find out is this is a scammy or they're going to always be laddering up to upsell me. And, and in the process of that research, I came across the bigger pockets website and started reading. And I thought, well, this is all of it right here for free. And and they had, they would, they were saying things like, why don't you just join your local RIA for $150 a year? And I didn't know what a RIA was. And so I looked it up, Googled it, found my local chapter and started showing up. And I thought this is like the BNI for real estate investors. And so I just started hitting those meetings and realized that I wanted to be an investor as my new job. And so I started looking around for opportunities to be an active investor. Um, and so I signed up for some courses and just trying to educate myself, like I said, getting some mentors. And so the first deal that I did um, was someone close to us that had been going through a job loss. And we would, we would call and say, hey, how's everything going? You guys found any job yet? It was, it was an extended job loss, very, very stressful. And their house was going into default. And one day I said, what, I wish there was something we could do. And she, she cracked a joke and said, well, I mean, you could give my husband a job or maybe buy my house. And I thought, by, by her house. And so I said, you know what? I think I might be able to do that. Let me go talk to some people and come up with some ideas if you're open to it and I will figure this out. And she says, well, if you can do that, then I'm open to the conversation. And so I went and asked several people, the teachers, the courses I took, some people at the RIA that I was at and came up with a couple of suggestions and went to her. And I laid it out in a way that like, here's what I would like to happen. Here's what benefits me the most. And here's how this scenario also benefits you. But I have several scenarios because I'm here to help you through this problem. And I said things like, why haven't you listed it with a realtor yet? And she gave me the reasons why. I said, why haven't you um, done deed in lieu? Why haven't you? And, and she would just go through all the reasons I got her talking. And so we laid out all the options and the benefits or the drawbacks of each option. And in the end, she said, well, it seems like the one that benefits you the most has a good benefit to me. And I, I would love to just have you take care of this for me. And so I went ahead and, and caught the loan up and uh, took it over, took over the mortgage still in their name um, and rented it out to a potential buyer. They, they signed a lease option on it and they're renting it out while they're saving up their down payment and, and working on getting their mortgage. And so that was the first deal that I ever did. And it was, it was because she had made that joke before, maybe you could buy my house when people are offering help, but nobody ever thought, oh, I'll go buy the house. And so just that, that idea that got put into all of our heads, being able to say, you know, I know the people who can give me the idea to do this. So that was the first deal I ever did. Um, that was in September of 2018 was when we closed that. Um, and then uh, I was out at a bank one time and this contractor was in the parking lot. And, and I mentioned how I was thinking I wanted to earn some more money so that I could be more of a passive investor because when I first got to Utah, I took all that money from the house that we made in Texas and loaned it out to a local house flipper, thinking maybe I'll flip some houses, maybe I'll get some rentals. I just didn't really know at that point. But I quickly zeroed in that I wanted to be in commercial real estate. Commercial photography was a much higher margin. And I knew that commercial real estate was a higher margin. And so I, I really zoned in that that was where I wanted to go. And the house flipper uh, was a good mentor for me and helped me figure out, he said, if you want to be a passive investor, you got to have a certain amount of cash and I knew that I only had about half of it. And rule of 72, 7.2 years to double at 
I wasn't willing to wait 7.2 years to double it passively. And what else was I going to do? I needed a job. And I was really had, even at that point, had my eyes on retiring my husband just a couple months into the research process. Uh, I'm not waiting 7.2 years for this. So I need to go do something more active. So I thought I'll flip a couple houses uh, just to make some more money in that pile that I can passively invest. I met this contractor and he started fussing at me all the time. Hey, let's go find a house. Let's go find a house. And so he would drive me around and we'd look at crappy houses from wholesalers. And I bought a couple of them and, and uh, rehabbed them. And I ended up just flipping them to rentals because they all made better rentals than flips. So I ended up with this little collection of single and, and duplex triplex rentals uh, from that process. I think I had about, I bought five properties that first year. And I just knew I would rather be in commercial real estate. So I was continuing to learn and network and look at deals, learn how to underwrite deals. And the first one that came along that was viable was from another member of the local RIA. She was an agent who had put together a joint venture to buy an apartment building. And um, the, the ownership team was, was not wanting to, to stay together. And she said, hey, we're going to sell this. We might have some seller financing available. Who wants to look at it? And I said, well, I'll look at it because it's free to look. It's free to ask for information. It's free to run the numbers through your spreadsheet. It's free to go talk to people about the deal. I mean, there was, there was just no reason not to at least investigate it with the attitude of, I am going to go do this deal. I had put a contract on a 14 unit in my husband's hometown and we weren't able to pull it together, but I tried and I just couldn't get the cash together to do it. And we had spent too much of our cash to get these little rentals. So that deal ended up not working out, but in the process of chasing that down, learning how to run numbers, trying to go raise money from somebody else to come do that deal with us um, as, a, as a total beginner, I, I learned a lot. And so that positioned me um, to be able to go make some offers on some other commercial properties because that experience of intending to take down a deal that might even be too big for you. Um, I, you, know, you don't want to go around burning brokers by putting things under contract that you cannot close on. Um, but on that one, I really thought I could close it. Uh, and ended up not working out. But on the on the 50 unit, again, in Idaho, um, I went and, and just put it together and I just kept dogging on it. And, and I knew it was a good deal. I knew the numbers worked and put together the people and who could raise the funds, who could take care of all the complicated legal work. And it took us nine months to close that deal after I found it until we closed it because we went through so many different scenarios and that would, wouldn't work out. How, how many units was that one? That was 50. It's 51 now. 51? We converted the laundry room to an apartment. Okay. And that, where, where in Idaho is that in? It's just across the border of Utah. So it's about two and a half hours north of Salt Lake on I-15, a, a small town called Pocatello. But because my husband lives just north of there, his family's just north of there, I get the Pocatello market. We've been through there hundreds of times. And I felt like um, it was an up and coming uh, market, even though it was a small town and close enough that I could keep my eyes on it as boots on the ground. And so that one ended up working out really well. And we just had to be very persevering through that process. It was a long process, um, a lot of anxiety. Did you have partners on it or how, how, uh, how did you get the capital needed for it? So that one, I have two partners. Um, my one partner is here in Salt Lake City. He helped me run the numbers because I was a little shaky on that. And he had, I had met him at Aria a couple months before. And he said, if you ever need help running numbers, just let me know. I'm happy to look at it. And you know, the, the ulterior motive there is that you get a good look at early look at deals. And he was he was hoping that maybe I might, or anybody else he offered that to might eventually bring him a deal. So he looked at it and he said, this is a pretty good deal. Um, I think I can raise the capital for it if you're looking for a partner. He said, yes, please, I've tried capital raising. I was not successful. Um, if you have the network built here, and he's from an 
uh, he's from Salt Lake, his family's generations here, and he knows the, the network here, and I just didn't. And so he went out and started raising capital for it. And I raised a little bit off of uh, LinkedIn. It was a public, what we call a public syndication. So I could generally solicit, but accredited investors only, which is they have a net worth of at least a million dollars. And so we were, we were limited on who we could take in, but- Or, we or income too, right? Just- Yeah, so people know yeah. If you, and I, I may get it wrong off the top of my head, but I think it's 250, 300, depending on married or joint, but um, yeah, so two, people know. 200 as a single- a 300 Maryland filing joint, married filing jointly. The million dollars of net worth is another way you can qualify. And it works for a lot of self-employed people because income on your taxes, right. business looks terrible. And so, and it should look terrible because you should have enough real estate in there that your, that your stated income is, is, is low. Like if you can't get a mortgage, that's a good, that's good as thing as a business owner. Cause it means yeah, you're, that's, you're uh, enough income. Uh, <laughs> entrepreneur's dilemma there, real estate entrepreneur's dilemma at least <laughs> exactly so that we're facing that this year and i'm super excited you know i'm sweating about getting a mortgage i know we're doing something right so um so we were we went out and we just raised raised capital through the uh the general solicitation model of the sec it has a couple of different ways you can do this and that was the one we chose and went out and raised we need to raise about nine hundred thousand for that one we got a partner out of rhode island who was able to sign on our loan with us because the, the amount of the loan, your net worth has to, of the partnership has to equal the amount of the loan. So we needed a, I don't know, $2 million loan. And uh, he came in with his net worth and got that signed on. And they also need a certain amount of liquidity. So we all pooled our liquid resources to show, yes, we have enough liquidity to close on this. And I had uh, closed a triplex with that same lender a couple of months before. And so we also signed on the loan just as, cause they had a relationship with us. So that's how we got that one done. But we looked at all sorts of different options. What we ended up with was the syndication, but we had tried two, three things before that to raise the capital for it that just didn't work out for various reasons. And we just kept trying the next thing and the next thing. That's why it took us so long to close it, but we knew it was a good deal and we knew we could get creative and get it done. And that's really what has to happen. If your numbers are good and your team is strong, uh, you should be able to to do whatever it takes to get that thing done. Deals are hard to find, so how, good ones fight. How was it going from deals that were like one, two, three units to now jumping up to fifty? Um, I I would say doing a fifty unit deal is probably five to maybe five times the amount of work as doing a single or a duplex or fourplex that type of thing. Um, but for 10x the amount of reward, because not only are you making more money for the same amount of time invested, but you're also gaining a level of credibility that few real estate investors have. And being able to leverage that into larger deals, like for example, our partner from Rhode Island, he came in and he's ended up being a, a very hands-on partner, but originally he was just in there to sign on the loan and he would have enjoyed all of the results of that just because his experience and his net worth we're able to get him into a deal. And like I said, he's ended up being a lot more hands-on than we he originally intended. And it's been really useful for the deal, but he didn't have to, that was optional. And he he's, he's gaining experience. He was then able to leverage that experience on a deal where he was a limited partner um, and they had a major unforeseen uh, repair that was needed uh, in six figures. And he came in and he said, hey, I own this 50 unit up in Idaho and I have the cash to go and do this repair. Would you be willing to 
talk about having me come in as, as more of a general partner. And I think that one was 250 units. And now he's as a GP on it because of his experience in our deal and as his liquidity, he was able to go and leverage that into doing a larger deal. So I've got people bringing me deals that are much, much larger now because they need somebody who's done anything like this to come into the team. I'm much better at raising capital now. So I can come in as a capital raiser. Um, I can come in as an, as an asset manager with experience because we have I have 93 units now and uh, 85 of those are large multifamily. And so it just being able to leverage that into something else to massive opportunities. Um, so the 50 unit, nobody's getting rich off the 50 unit. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a great project, uh, but it's not that expensive. I mean, Pocatello is a small town and, and the building's only, what was it like two and a half million dollars. So there's not a huge margin on a 50 unit in a small town like that. But now I'm positioned, we're going to make an offers on 150 units in major cities like Dallas, uh, Phoenix. Um, and so I feel like that difference there is worth the extra work and effort and learning curve because it's not that much harder than doing single family, but the rewards are much, much greater than doing a single or small, small multi. What's, what's the difference uh, on your your cash flow per unit on like a two, you know, two, three unit deal versus a 50 or cash flow per unit is pretty similar because if you're doing a single family house, it's more expensive per door. Um, you're looking to, after all of your expenses are paid and that, that doesn't just mean your monthly, I mean, all your amortized long-term expenses like vacancy, new roof, new water heater, furnace, those major cap capital expenditures. Once all those expenses are, are, are paid um, and your mortgage is paid, uh, if you're cash flowing about $200 a door on a single family house, you should buy it. So on a multifamily, um, a small multifamily, duplex, triplex, fourplex, even five or six, which you're starting to get into commercial lending, um, it, it, the, the managing the property is not that much different than a fourplex, but the lending is, is what's different on that. But you still are going to be wanting to do between um, maybe $150 a door on that. If you're in a large multifamily, you're going to be doing maybe $100 a door because each door is so much, so much cheaper. And so the other advantage of that, uh, even though the cash flow is, is similar, but, but your operational expenses, uh, you just have more efficiencies because the, the continuity between the units means that if something breaks, your handyman's there on site, he can get right to it. He's seen this problem before because you have a hundred other units on the property that are basically the same floor plan using the same mechanicals. He doesn't have to go look at it, go to Home Depot, come back, look at it again. He's able to just go in. He might even have the part in the, in the storage closet and go fix what needs to be done. So those types of management efficiencies, being able to afford a full-time uh, maintenance guy on site, a full-time leasing agent on site who only works for your apartment, reduces vacancies, increases efficiencies. So the cash flow per door is similar, but on the back end, when you refinance and get all your money out, it's just like a burr, you know, where you buy it, you refinance, you rehab it, you rent it out, you refinance it, you get most of your money back out uh, pretty quickly, maybe two years into the process. And then the rest of the time, you're just enjoying the cash flow. And then when you sell it on the back end, that's where most of the returns are made. And that's why we sell these things, you know, five, seven years in instead of just keeping them for long-term cash flow, because most of it is to get our return on our equity that we have in the deal. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just like, if you think about those numbers, 200 a door on a single family, 100 on a multi-unit, like it would take you 
25 single families to do what you could do with one 50 unit building. And that's, that's yeah. one thing to operate versus 25. So I think it's, you know, sometimes I think it's harder for people to make that jump in their head. Those, the, you know, those, there's a lot of real estate investors out there comfortable buying one unit or two, but buying 50 might scare them off. And maybe you were a little nervous at, at first or, yeah. or when you went through it, but um, there's just so much more efficiencies and you can do it faster too. Well, and I had a conversation with, with a buddy of mine who invests in similar types of things in similar areas to us. And he was pretty concerned when I put an offer on that place. He said, you are too new, you are too small, and you do not have anywhere near the infrastructure to run a property like that. And I told him, I said, well, let me, let me share a little bit about my background with you. And here's why I think I can do it, because I have enough relevant experience and I have partners who have done something similar. I mean, my marketing background makes it so that I can reposition and rebrand an apartment complex because I've helped start many startups to establish brands for themselves. And so that might not seem like a relevant real estate skill. It, it only takes you to a little bit of looking at like, what am I good at? What am I doing right now? And how does that translate over? Um, I, with my entrepreneurial management background, I knew that I could take care of funding, staffing, daily management um, of those things. And, and I'm not the, the task manager. I'm not the person who's there doing, you know, doing, pulling all the tickets and taking care of everything. I'm more of what I call the systems manager, where I am able to get in and, and design basically standard operating procedures and getting into a groove with our team and deciding who's in charge of what and then executing on, on your specialty. And it's a different specialty in every group that I'm in. So in one group, I might be the best at construction management, but in another, we might have a general contractor in there who's, who's better at it than me. On another one, I might be the best at accounting, but then on another deal that I've got, we've got a finance manager in there and he takes care of all the accounting. So I just kind of fill in where things are needed. I, I kind of make a joke. I can do 90% of everything, but I'm really not the expert at any one thing. And so whatever needs to happen on this, we're going to go out and we're going to make it happen. So that's, that's my philosophy on why I believed that I could take this down is because we're all intelligent, capable people who are working hard. You just have to look at what you're already doing and how that translates over to what you want to be doing. Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book, the hyper local, hyper fast real estate agent? If you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. I, I think the interesting thing about it, and, and um, sometimes people don't maybe realize this, but it, it may be easier in some case to manage and operate that 50 unit because than like one or two single family homes because it's it's going to be hard to get a dedicated property manager for a couple yeah. single family homes or it'll eat into your margin a lot more you know whereas with 50 units you get to spread it all out and in your it's more like mcdonald's you're just you're repeating a lot of stuff with a, a couple base units probably so i think i think sometimes that's a misconception people have that the smaller ones are easier to manage not at, not at scale. I would say you probably need about 25 to 30 single family homes to equal one 50 to 60 unit complex as far as the amount of income and uh, the, the sharing the same amount of work. So I self-manage 
uh, my own units, my small units. Uh, I, I find it for, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I do something that's called tenant empowerment, where I give them a lot of freedom to be able to say, look, if it's less than hundred bucks, just upload the receipt to the portal and I'll take it off next month's rent. Um, they have automatic payment, uh, automatic maintenance portal. They've got the handyman's phone number, just call them, take care of it. And they have a list of things like, here's what you call me about. Here's what's an emergency that you call me in the middle of the night. And here's what's urgent. Just call me during business hours, but call me immediately. And they know, and they, I, I tell them straight out, I want you to feel like this is your home because from a business perspective, vacancy is what kills these things. I don't want you to move out. I want you to like being here. I want you to feel like you're getting a good value. You have a lot of control over the space that you're living in. And so this is why I do it. I, I might um, give them some, some extra responsibilities like in my duplex or triplex if they want to take care of the yard. I'll, I will knock off some of the rent to do that. Normally that's not a great idea. Normally you would want to make sure you're hiring professionals instead of hiring your tenants to do things. So try and keep that separate. But there are a few little things like yard work and pest control that I will allow them to take over. Um, but like I said, we have a professional handyman. So that tenant empowerment makes my, my management actually pretty simple and the software IT solutions to, to get that done in an efficient way. Um, but I probably, I mean, I definitely spend more time managing my 85 units than I do managing my eight units. But if I had 30 units, which would, or 50 units, single families, which would be the equivalent of my 85, I certainly would be spending a lot more time uh, hands-on in that process. And it's not as scalable. It's just gets to be where you're spread too thin and going in too many directions. So I find that I prefer single family houses to duplexes, triplexes, four or five. Um, really my thing is either single family, either go big or go single. Because the duplexes and the triplexes, I think, are the most management intensive because you've got apartment mindset people living there, um, but it's like taking care of a house. At least the single families take care of their own yard, their own pest control. They just tend to take a little bit more ownership over the space as their home than a duplex, fourplex. So I feel like if you're going to have apartment dwellers mindset in there, put them in a large apartment where they're easier to manage and keep them all corralled in one place. And then your singles can be a little bit on their own and taking care with the tenant empowerment uh, type of philosophy. And that's just from me being from a big family and, and having a big family. You, you got to get all these kids kind of together and moving in the same direction or they're all over the place. And so if you want to manage a large portfolio, uh, you have to think about efficiencies and standards and how you're going to do this with the least amount of time and effort invested. How can you simplify it? How can you delegate it? How can you design it to be efficient? So um, I, and, and there's projects I've got where I'm really struggling with this. I mean, this is not, I make it sound like, oh yeah, we just go in and we have the super smooth system. Designing those systems takes time. And also when you go in with a new partnership, you've got to get a feel for each other, what your strengths and weaknesses are, how much, um, documentation and, and, uh, formality do you need to put into it? Or are you grooving along really well together and, and, and designing, designing those systems as you go along. So it's not easy for sure. And, and, and it is a lot of hard work and there's a lot of stress involved because especially when you're raising capital, you might have a great deal. And if you can't get all the capital you need in it, you're putting the control of closing that deal on the shoulders of other people. And that lack of control can be really stressful. At least for me, it is. So there are certainly benefits and drawbacks. I'd say, if you want to, if you want to be a real estate investor, you got to kind of decide, do you want to have 10 single family homes that are paid off that you can retire on for a thousand dollars a month each? Or do you want to scale up and have a couple of 50, 150 units with a group 
And then maybe someday you go buy like a 15 unit by yourself with no partners and you're gonna be spinning off the same income from that that you would with a larger one. But I know successful investors, wealthy guys with good net worth and they have all the down payment, go put an offer on a 15 or 20 unit and they can't get a loan because they've never managed anything that big. And so they'll call me and say, hey, they have to share a split of the pie with me just to get the loan um, or they need to go bigger so then they can go back to that. So those, those are considerations. Which direction do you want to go? What, um, what, what size deals are you looking at now? Are you more focused on single families? Or are you out there looking at hundred units or where's, where's your focus right now today? Um, my, what, so, so you have two kinds of deals that come to you. The deal that you look for, the niche that you are specializing in that you're look, looking for and the deals that fall in your lap through your network. And so the deals that I look for are between 60, 150 units plus. And I look for those in some key markets around the country. I'm from Austin, so Central Texas, obviously, San Antonio, um, Dallas are, are big markets that I spend time actively looking in. Um, because I bought that first house in Kentucky, I'm looking really heavily in Louisville. Um, Salt Lake, obviously, I have a lot of family in Phoenix. It's nearby, so we're looking there. And then pretty much any city in Idaho. Um, Idaho is, is on fire right now. Boise is amazing. Even Twin Falls, Pocatello, Idaho Falls. I mean, I would buy, uh, but there's just, there just aren't as many large buildings in those cities. And so it's harder to find what I'm looking for there, but I definitely would be interested. So I look in those key markets around, we're looking for something that has a lot of renovation because we want to force uh, a value add. So some of those are because they're being managed very poorly. But when you start getting into the 60, 80, 100, 150 unit, they're not really being managed that poorly because they're not mom and pops anymore. Most of these are professional management companies. And even though there may be efficiencies that you can introduce to, to, to tighten it up, you're usually not going to find the train wreck that you're going to find with the 20 to 30 units that are mom and pop and, and they've just been living off the income and not doing any work. So for me, most of the value is going to be added through renovations. Um, just deferred maintenance that that turns into a capital expenditure. You know, they haven't put a new roof on, the parking lot's looking pretty bad. Um, maybe the windows haven't re been replaced since it was built in 1985. So that vintage of 2000, 1980 to about 2000 is what I look for. Now I have other deals fall in my lap that are outside of that, outside of that. And those, those are kind of the variety. Those are the things that people are like, well, why are you doing that? I thought you were specializing in this. And um, if you can put the team together with the experience to get the deal done, which is what my specialty is, I have a confidence to go out and do something that's a little bit more broad because I'm not doing it. I'm going and finding the people who have done it, who are interested, or that deal is their niche. And then I get to come in and have a little piece of that. So deals that you're looking for, be very focused. Um, and then deals that the opportunistic uh, things that come along, just make sure you know who to call to get those done. And I've let some of those go, many of those go, because I didn't have the right skill set or the right network to get it done. But if I do, I'll go make it happen. Or or if it's like too good of a deal, right? Like that's, I mean, you'll, you'll find the right people and, and part of the right partners, I think. Is yes. That, gotten from if today. the deal is great, if, like I said, if the deal is good, um, the numbers have to be working and the risk factors have to be working. And if you can mitigate those and put the right team on it, you know, go fight for it. Uh, especially if it's an owner who's being patient with you and you have the time, um, you can either do something that's really easy and do it fast and do it over and over again, or you can do something really hard and just plan in more time for your learning curve. And either way you choose to go, it's fine. 
you're going to, you're going to find success down either route. But I think for me, like, let's go back to the smorgasbord of being at the RIA and having people getting up there and speak every month about what they do, what they invest in, what their specialties are and being like, ah, I, I don't want to do that. Or that actually sounds kind of interesting. I'm going to take that guy out to lunch. Um, when I'm putting things, these things out there, it's going to be different for every person, what resonates with them and what they're looking for and what their niche ends up being. I ended up actually starting to look for self-storage units because back in Austin, we had a neighbor who owned several class A storage units around our place. And he was trying to help us get into that. And again, we weren't ready. We were just ignorant. I don't know. I'm, I need to unpack that with a therapist, probably that wasted opportunity that we had there. But, but so when I got here and I realized, you know what, I'm going to do that storage thing that he was always talking about and, and getting into that. And I was looking very hard for self storage units and building network and partner to go take those down. But I knew the multifamily because I was hanging out with those guys at the RIA too and was learning about it, but it wasn't my focus. But when the apartment complex came into my lap, that was an opportunistic deal that I looked at and said, I'm going to go take this down. And so I ended up re-niching over into that large multifamily uh, because of that opportunity gave me the experience I needed to go take down more of those. But that wasn't exactly where I started with commercial real estate. Well, your, uh, your transition and your story of, of how you did it is, it's quite inspirational, and uh, I know our listeners have got a ton of value. Before we wrap up, I always like to do the hyper-fast round, if you're ready for some rapid-fire questions. Yeah, go for it. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? You Well, if you ask somebody if they could go back and do it differently on investor podcasts, you'll have the same answer 80% of the time. Start younger and house hack. So if you're yeah. new, use your single family or your personal residence as a cash flow center. Robert Kiyosaki always says your house is a liability. It's not an asset. Figure out how to turn your house into an asset. And that can look like all sorts of different ways. You can rent out a room. You can leave on the weekend when you're Airbnb it out and go, go camping. I mean, I know people who do that. I know a guy who moved out of his large house, got a rental around the corner just so he could Airbnb out his big house because he already had it. It was already there. So um, we're house hacking right now. We actually just poured a new uh, RV pad next to our big house and we rent that out for about $150 a week. And then we're actually moving out of this house. We bought us, we're downsizing into a smaller house. That's a better fit for our uh, lifestyle. So we can have more of our weekends free and less yard work and, and it'll be cheaper. So it gets us closer to the goal of, of, of being able to, to work if we want to rather than because we have to. And so we're, we're turning this house here into residential assisted living. I don't know anything about residential assisted living, but I know people who do. Um, I've got a neighbor who is, sits on the, the board of the uh, state assisted living, um, who's helping me out with that. And I know somebody who owns a couple of small residential facilities, who's gonna come in, they're gonna manage it. I'm basically an investor. I'm putting the house up and I'm paying for the renovations that we need to do, but this will turn into a, a profit center for me and something I don't have to be an expert at. And so we're house hacking this. The, the smaller house we're moving into does have a basement that's unfinished that has a separate entrance. And so we're going to finish it up and we'll be able to eventually start renting that out as well. And so think about what you can do with your house to create a profit center for you and get yourself stable. So when you're investing in something, stop spending your cash on your lifestyle, spend your cash to go invest in things. And then you live off the income that comes off of the investments. And so it's like the money you work for versus the money that comes in passively live off the passive. Now you can't do that right away. It's kind of a uh, shifting scale, 
where you're going to start out 100% active income and just gradually working your way to 100% passive income. But having that goal in mind, the cash that I make, I will live on as little as possible. I will go invest everything else for passive income sources. And as that scale starts to shift, I will eventually have mostly or all passive income. So that would be my advice to people new. Rethink the way that you live in your own home and rethink the way that you spend your money. What's the biggest mistake you see experienced investors making? <sighs> getting too far outside their, their niche, getting too far outside their expertise. They think, oh, I can bring this uh, general contractor on and he can build this, this luxury house, but you're in a historical area of a sensitive downtown and that contractor's never done it before. Suddenly he doesn't know how to jump through all the hoops of the city. He's doing his best to do it, but he's learning on the job. Suddenly you're over budget and over time. Um, and so if I'm going to go outside of, of my niche, which at the beginning, I didn't have a niche. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I'm always going to be surrounding myself with experts and people who've done it before and figuring out how I can bring value to them to entice them to come onto my team. So making sure that you have people who are niched in what you are doing on the team as principals. And then I can now go be principal on deals that, that I'm an expert at, uh, but always be attracting those experts to your team. Don't get too far outside your area of competence. I mean, it's great for me to talk big, like, you know, take your relevant skills and think about how you can go and, and apply that to your new thing. But don't go without a guide. There are trailblazers who have done this before you. There's information that they put out there and they are willing to partner with you if you bring in a good deal or if you can bring in enough capital to entice them to partner with you. And I'll give you an example. I had somebody recently, he's a single family investor, has this army of single family homes, comes to me and says, hey, I have $2 million that I need to place by the end of the year because of the, the tax liability that I'm gonna face. And he says, what, what do you have? I said, well, you can buy into any apartment complex you want with that kind of money. You go and say, I'm going to sponsor most or all of your limited partner. And I want to be a general partner. And we will be like, come aboard, man. We would be happy to have you. And so just, he can get outside of his area of expertise and transition over into multifamily because he knows experts that he can partner up with. So just stay in your lane unless you have the expert guides and you can take a back seat or passenger seat and let them drive. All right, last one. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? A passive investor. And that's my goal. I, I heard when I very first started sitting in that RIA meeting thinking like, which way am I going to go? I was dabbling and learning and, and trying to figure out. And one guy got up there and he was raising money for an apartment complex. And he said, look, if you could just skip residential and go straight to commercial, you should do that. And I was sitting in the audience like, I should, I should probably just go straight to commercial. And then somebody said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And he said, as a passive investor. And I raised my hand and I said, so if you can skip commercial and just go straight to being a passive investor, he said, then you should do that. So I knew then the goal was, that was how I knew, increase the pile, become a passive investor. To increase the pile, I am doing active investing. But in 10 years, I am going to be more involved as being the expert on a deal, the gray hair that comes in and as the advisor, I'm going to be more involved in some, some philanthropic things that I want to do with, um, with my sports startups, you know, helping our athletes transition out of, out of professional sports and into a career, a couple other things um, that I would love to be involved in and basically spending more time as a grandma. You know, my oldest is 22 and, and we're in the next 10 years, we're going to start seeing those, 
those those little grandbabies come like can't believe I just said that but you know it's true time just keeps marching on right so I see myself as a passive investor I would have loved to have been able to start there but we just didn't have enough a big enough pile so every time we get money out of a mature investment I try and go invest it passively and then I can continue to do active deals over here so if you want to be passive and have that freedom and you have the cash that you can do it or at least start doing it just skip commercial and go straight to that. All right. Well, that is great advice. And we appreciate you being on the show. I know our listeners and people watching on YouTube got a ton of value and, and hopefully some inspiration on, on how to scale up and, and, you know, cause you did this in just three years or so. Uh, before we sign off, if people want to connect with you or learn about your deals, like what are, what are the best ways from the connect with you or follow you on social media? Um, I have a couple of channels where people can get in touch with me. My website is www.highrise.group. And that has some general information about multifamily. You can schedule a call with me and I show my portfolio there. If you want to look at some deals that I have, um, I do either joint ventures or private syndications. And so we, we do have to have kind of a relationship in order to, to share the information. So that'd be the best way to reach out. Like I said, set up a call. I love helping people who are just getting started because that's just always kind of been my niche. I always end up being a teacher. It's just something I have inside of me that I love I love to do. I do it because I like it. So um, whether you have capital to invest or you want to get in as an active partner, just let me know. And we'll kind of figure out like the, help you identify the best path for where you should uh, be focusing on your time. And if it's not with me, I can introduce you to some people and help you get your network started. Um, I'm also very active on social media. So Facebook and LinkedIn, I'm Emma Powell 28 on both of those. Um, and I have just discovered the power of Instagram. I've been avoiding it for a few years. So I'm, I'm Emma Powell dot 28 over there. And my Instagram is basically more about my passive income lifestyle and the things that we are building so that as we're enjoying more passive income and and how we're kind of transitioning out of active income into passive income. So that's a little bit different focus, but if you want to talk about real estate, Facebook and LinkedIn and my website. Um, I also have a Facebook group that if you have capital or if you have a deal, it's like a networking uh, dating service for people who are trying to match up deals with capital partners. And it's just to encourage people to get in there, start talking about this stuff and then message each other privately uh, outside the group and, and start doing deals together. So um, that's grown. We have, I don't know, maybe a thousand people in it now, and we've got a good conversation going on and we would love to continue to grow that. So we want it to be a marketplace for passive investors to meet active investors and just get stuff done. All right. Well, you've been amazing and, and hearing your story is very inspirational. And so hopefully people will reach out and connect with you. Thanks for being on the show and for everyone listening and watching. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.